Welcome back. This is Courtney, and you're listening to My Vagina Hurts, a podcast where we decided to take our raw, revealing, and sometimes outrageously spicy dinner chats, put mics in front of our faces, and hit record. Friend, boss, business owner, wife, and mom are just some of the roles we juggle. But in reality, we're just some stressed and sexy women here to give you an unfiltered perspective on the not-so-glamorous, but sometimes fabulous, and downright exhausting things we deal with in today's world. Get ready to laugh, gasp, and maybe even shed a tear as we release new episodes each and every week. No BS, no pretending, just pure, unapologetic realness from us to you. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of My Vagina Hurts. I'm Courtney. I'm Kelly. And I'm Devin. So school is back in session all around the country, some of us longer than others. But of course, parents and us around the country are rejoicing. But that led us to believe, and especially over kind of summer and just chatting about summer plans, Is there something that can be done about the current state of American school schedules? So today we're going to be chatting about a little bit about the history of schooling in America, what some other countries do that's kind of interesting, and what, if anything, can be done about schooling, particularly when there's two working parents in the household or in and out of their households, what can be done about these schedules. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the history. And then if you guys want to chime in about any of your thoughts about the history, um, you can. So a lot of this, I think we all just kind of know, it's like we have this, this peripheral idea about what the school system was, how it got into place, how that coincides with our traditional nine to five construct. But I was really interested or surprised to learn a couple of stats about public schooling in America. The first one is that public schooling has only been around in America for just over 100 years. I found that official public school nationally was instated in 1918. So you've got just 100 years of public schooling in general. And then we also have to keep in mind that schools have only been legally desegregated for just over 60 years. And that was just the law in 1959 saying that schools had to be desegregated, but it took a decade for that to actually come about in practice for all schools. And then obviously we can go on and on about jurisdictions and redlining and all that stuff. So We know that public schooling hasn't been around that long. And what we also know about the structure of schooling was that it was in America, it was invented by the Puritans, of course, who invented everything good or bad that is happening in our society. And they decided that they wanted uniform public schooling, mostly for religion, which we all know is why the Puritans did everything that they did was to indoctrinate Christian religion into America. So they wanted religion, they wanted to create schooling, and schools, you know, popped up here and there. But like I said, 1918 was when it became law that all children had to go to school until fifth grade. So there are people who are 100 years old, they didn't legally have to go to school after fifth grade. And what we also know is that in the 19th century, there were a lot of school reformers who wanted to implement a standard school year nationwide. So they wanted to align the rural Midwestern agrarian school calendar, which gave students a break in the spring and the fall for harvesting and planting, with also an urban inner city schedule, which let students out of the summer so the families could get out of the cities and go, you know, visit their friends, country mouse, city mouse in the summer. So basically you had two different types of people in America who needed a schedule that worked for them and their families, but it all had to be rolled out to everybody across the country. And I, that was something that I absolutely didn't know. I don't know if either of you had heard anything like that before about where the actual schedule and breaks came from. 
No, I hadn't heard that part of it. The The part that I do know is that the nine to five came into play with the industrial revolution. So that was conditioning families and kids to know that, you know, nine to five or nine to three or that regular schooling was a direct feed into the workforce. This is before college became a thing even. Um, so, yeah, but yeah, this break situation, I did not know that that was that was where it came from. Makes sense, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know any of that. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it all makes sense, though, like especially the Midwestern stuff like that. You understand it's it's cow fields in the middle of America and grain fields in the middle of America. So it makes complete sense that they needed the labor mm-hmm. um, to harvest because that's how they were making the money when every all the coastal cities and things like that had more of the infrastructure and and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so. this wasn't in the article, but it just occurred to me that school also probably ends you know, at the time that it ends, two thirty, three o'clock, because in the winter when it gets dark early, you need everybody to get home and do a handful of chores before the mm-hmm. sun sets at four forty-five. Mm, yeah. yeah. So that all kind of makes sense. Um, so most school districts across the country didn't settle into this schedule until 1960. Wow. And another interesting thing about 1960 was only about a third of adult women worked. So obviously most women could be counted on to pick their kids up and watch their kids and do dinner and all that stuff at the end of school. So that leads us to where we are present day. So students are in school for about six and a half hours, five days a week. They have two months off in summer, other vacations, spring break, fall breaks, all that stuff. And the number of moms with kids under 18 who work full time has only raised to two thirds. So it was a third in 1960 and it's two thirds now. I was actually a little bit surprised by that statistic. I don't know why I thought it was more. I guess I just I personally feel like there there can't be that many people in America who can afford to have a woman stay home. So maybe that's just like my bleak outlook on our society. Well, well maybe it's, oh, I think it's, it's a just juxtaposition. Like there's people that can't afford childcare or having a woman stay home. I think it's like a, there, there is no choice for a lot of families. Like when you do the math, I, I know people specifically that when you do the math, it never made sense for them to work. You, if you, don't pay people enough and you don't increase the pay based on the cost of everything at a certain point you're going to have. And it's always the woman stay home. And I think that's the crux of most of our um, progress here is you're going to have this religious based argument of should women be home or should they be working? And instead of us focusing on the reality of women have to work because you need two incomes to survive. They're going, well, I don't care about the facts. I need women home who should take care of the children. And this is why we can't change anything is like, this is the argument. You have a one third of the people going, women should be home. Two thirds going, I can't be home because you're, you know, not paying me enough or you're charging too much for a cost of living. And it's, you know, yeah, and I wonder how much of that uh, last third are like part time, like work part time. Yes, because yeah, it did full-time. very explicitly say full time or full time entrepreneurship. So yes, there are. I'm sure there are countless of women who work part time in some capacity. So that's a good point. It probably would make up a lot of that other percent. Mm-hmm. I would like to know, and I will do this research and put it in the show notes. How many women don't work at all? Like no part time. Yeah side hustle know anything especially nowadays when you can do some form of a side hustle you know fully virtually i'm wondering if that's even documented in the same way anymore Mm -hmm. probably not it's probably difficult so we know we're up to two-thirds and here's another interesting statistic so in 2019 a bristol and essex university study found that 27.8 of women percent of women were working full-time including entrepreneurship three years after childbirth compared to 90% of new fathers. 
So every dad in the world goes is back to work by the time their child is three and only 28% of women are back to work by the time their child is. I mean, that proves Devin's point about, you know, where's, where's the priority uh, with where women, women's role, and then also the cost of childcare. Another thing I learned once kids do become school-aged is that um, fewer than half of American public schools even offer an after-school program. And I just kind of took it for granted that all the schools, you know, whether it was through the YMCA or whatever, that I assumed all schools had an option for you to do that. So I can't imagine what would happen if your school district didn't have any after school program or maybe there's no YMCA in your area <laughs> what do you do yeah i assumed it was part of the like what the government funding i provided. thought so too yeah well that just went through though right like didn't universal pre-k it's still not even passed or did it just pass like well universal pre-k did pass but this specifically has to do with after school care so for instance if you need somebody to bridge the gap between three and five apparently only half of schools in america have a program Yeah. Yeah, What's so funny is I can't even think about what it was like pre COVID because I didn't have like Lucy was born right before COVID. But like, I wasn't thinking about after school care at that early of an age. It's just until now when our work schedules are slightly more flexible and we're going into this argument phase of who goes back into the office and who doesn't. And I'm starting to realize like, well, how the heck did parents do this before COVID when nobody was hybrid and remote? Like that was so rare. Um, And I'm going, how did this even function before now, when at least now both of us have somewhat of a flexible option built in, Mm -hmm. even if, you know, at the very top, the C-suite is bugging us to go in. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there's Latchkey, the YMCA has Y-Care. So there's definitely been that. But in the article I read, they were profiling, you know, one particular small town. And they said that the the parents would have to line up and some parents would even line up the night before like it was black friday shopping so they could sign up for the limited spots of the after school not even the summer program the after school program yeah and the program you know would be full by like 10 people yeah i've heard that that's that's still true today like one of my friends has a kid in a very popular royal oak school and they have a lottery system for the after school program. And if your kid doesn't get chosen to be in that, then there is a backup program provided by the Salvation Army, but it's completely separate. But the the school must have made an arrangement where they have like a little bus that will go pick up the kids, right. like the overflow kids and take them to the Salvation Army to do that. So luckily we live in a community where there are those types of programs available, but that we're very privileged to have that opportunity. Like that is not the, that is not the norm. And obviously these stats prove it because half of schools don't have it. My mind was just blown by that number. Yeah. I'm this, this topic makes me (laughs) so. Every topic makes you anxious. (laughs) I It makes me so upset. I get so, I don't know if I'm sad, like I'm upset and I want to cry because I'm sad or if I'm full of rage. I can't tell yet. We'll decide at that. (laughs) But I don't, I cannot believe that we do this to children in general. Like we are talking about it like they're just commodities. We have to find a place to store them. Yeah, it really is. Because you think about it, it's like my son starts kindergarten and we've made the decision to stay at Montessori. And it's like, that was part of the reason why I was like, no, we're not sending him the public school this year. I'll figure it out in first grade. Because Montessori goes to 530. So the end, like the end of discussion, because the thought of having to schedule that or be home, you know, I have coworkers who have to leave every day at 230 and it is very complicated. It's complicated on the work front, you know, meetings have to be rescheduled, all these things, because they have to get home to pick their kids up or meet them at the bus stop or wherever. And I've just opted out. I was like, I'm not ready for that yet. 
So I'm just going to buy myself one more year. So I now have exactly one year Uh, to figure out what I'm going to do before next year. Yeah. You've entered into that phase where it is one year at a time or one season at a time. So fast. I'm I'm like having so much panic. (laughs) And to me, all this conversation is us deflecting the, the root of the problem because we know that's way harder to fix and way harder to change, especially in America, which is all rooted in money at the top and a capitalist society. And so like we, we talk about how do we solve this or what are you doing or how do, how do we work around it and who works around it, which is always the women and children, right? It's always comes back to who has to bear the burden. Yes. Women and children bear this transition and the scheduling of it and the accommodation of it. And instead of us, you know, and I think we try and talk about it. We try and go, hey, corporations need to support or that has to be talked about. But yet it always comes back to the teachers accommodating and staying after hours or, you know, is there buses? Is, you know, are the women leaving work early? And then what happens to them based on their coworkers' perception? Exactly. It's that. like a whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. So I have a few more stats and then I want to talk about some of these potential opportunities. We're going to manifest them and call them opportunities for actually fixing some of these issues. So I have a couple more stats. The average school time in our nation for high school is 7.59 a.m. I think about that now, like I barely can make it into the office by nine. (laughs) I don't know how my mom was able to get us all somewhere and to work by 7.59. Like my mind is blown. But what also I found really interesting when I was reading about school start times is these 8 a.m. earlier than 8 a.m. start times actually are requiring teenagers to get up earlier than is ideal for their biological physiological clocks, meaning teens are disrupting their natural sleep patterns every single school day. So it's it's saying that teens are naturally, you know, supposed to, they supposed to still get the 12 hours of sleep, but it's a little later. So it might be like 10 to 10 or some teens like 11 to 11 AM. And we get it. We've all heard, you know, people complain about, you know, teenagers wanting to sleep in and stuff, but they really do need the full 12 hours of sleep and teenagers just aren't going to go to bed until later. So what we're doing instead is we're forcing them to get five, six hours of sleep, and then they're either falling asleep in class or not able to perform, not able to function. So, you know, that's a whole thing. Welcome to corporate work. Well, exactly. It's getting (laughs) used to that corporate America and functioning off no sleep. Well, the early, I'm assuming, and it's probably true, the the early rise for teenagers is twofold because of bus availability, because it's the same buses in a district that take the teenagers to high school that then circle back around into middle school, circle back around into elementary. So that they have to plan for that. And two, teenagers, high schoolers do after school shit, like sports. Yeah, they have sports. So there is like that scheduling needs to be accommodated for. But I also remember being a teenager and struggling to wake up. And then my mom and being so tired when I got home that I would take a nap every day after school, you know, probably, probably early, early high school. And my mom thought I was anemic and like took me to like the doctor to get tested and everything because she's like, she's just tired all the time. The doctor's like, she's a teenager, like, or she's tired all the time. But I believe it was probably because of the natural sleep pattern getting disrupted because I wasn't going to bed till till late. And we've talked, I, you know, it's like, we've all talked and we've all heard about the, the over-scheduling, especially when you become a high schooler, that it it's getting a little out of hand with just the the ridiculous schedules and things that, that teenagers have on their plates. Yeah, that so- was me. I was in school <laughs> at 7.15 every morning because all of my clubs that I was like on the board of, we did morning meetings because everyone had sports after school. So, and I, the rule was you had an activity af- like a sport every season. So- I always had a sport after school and then I wanted to do the other like honor society and student council and stuff for college. In my head, it was like, all this needs to be done to get into college. So I was out the door by seven, almost every Monday through Friday, almost my whole four years of high school. Um, And I was home at 7 p.m. 
post I think my high school started at 740 and we had to be in there by 730. I think that was the first bell. Yeah, I'm sure ours started early. I remember when I was playing varsity volleyball, if it was getting towards the end of the season, we would have two a days. So we'd have to practice before school and after school. Yeah. And I just granted, I have always been a morning person. But when I think about the schedule now, it sounds exhausting. Yeah. I could I can't do that now. I <laughs> Like I can't function that way now. So it's it's really it's a lot. I want to talk a little bit about solutions, internal and external solutions. And one of the last stats I want to provide is that the government can do things if they want, which we all know. So during World War II, schools extended the work days because all of the women had been drawn back into the workforce when all the men were at war and the women had to build the bombs and stuff the public school system extended until five o'clock. So it's like, they just did it, right? Mm -hmm. It was something that had to be done. It was done. So we know that technically, of course, it can be done. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, it's a very small percentage, literally only 4% of public schools have opted and instituted a year round calendar. So we kind of talked about um, when we were chatting about this topic earlier, we talked about trimesters and how Mm -hmm. some schools are going to year round. So 4% of public schools have done this that's a very small percentage but i was glad to hear it was any because to me it seems like it'd be very difficult for a public school to be able to convince their local government to make this shift so that's that's one promising thing that i learned in my research <laughs> yeah i mean it has to start somewhere right you have to have some typically we need some data to convince other people to jump on board with it like it needs to show that there's no dip in money in the district and in the local workforce, like capitalist workforce in order to get other folks on board. But Where are these schools? Yeah. That? It didn't say, it just said 3,700 schools, which is 4% of all the public schools. And I am glad to say, like, glad to hear that it's public schools and not private, because I'm sure there's some private institutions. Oh, definitely. That do that. Even I, I, I remember, I think, being in high school and, or college, there was a charter school in my hometown that did that year round trimester. And I remember it, you know, being in the newspaper and the whole thing. But people were flocking to that school because of the the year round nature. Yeah. I mean, I don't care. Like, I don't hate the concept of extending hours if the content of the day wasn't them sitting at a desk all day. Like, I already struggle with the amount of time they're in a room at a desk doing standardized types of learning. Mm -hmm. I, I wholeheartedly understand the idea of wanting to have your, not homeschool, because that can get a little weird, but like, Kids don't need eight hours of sitting at a desk of education. I understand that the science is there. I I have no idea how to get that in any way other than like homeschooling a kid. And I don't know who's going to homeschool my kid because it can't be me. Like be out of the homeschool. And that's a really good point. So it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, why is this the structure to sit for eight hours or six hours or however many hours and sit at your desk. So for instance, in Finland, the elementary school students spend around 75 total minutes in recess compared to 27 minutes for American children. So I think the solution is not that we have to totally reinvent this whole thing. It's just like, let them chill out more, right? Let them, let them like go play, let them have gym time, let them do whatever more. Yeah, I will say education models that do that, like Montessori is one of them. I know Sage has recess for a half hour after school or after lunch every day, but they have morning outdoor break. They have afternoon outdoor break. She's probably getting that 75 minutes plus outside Mm -hmm. or some type of, if if it's, you know, the weather's not great, some type of like loose structure play inside if uh, in any way. yeah, Lucy's okay. daycare is the same way. It goes all the way up to like five years old. So it goes right up until that kindergarten moment. And they do morning and afternoon, 45 minutes in the morning, 45 minutes up to an hour in the afternoon, no matter what, unless it's below freezing, mm-hmm. period. So it could be snowing out. It could be 34 degrees out. 
if it is not below freezing, they are outside. And I appreciate that so much because even if we were to keep her home on certain days, I'm not taking her out that long during a work day if I'm working and she's home with me. Like, she's not getting that. Right. So it's, but that's so rare, especially as they get older. You don't see high schoolers being let out of that building ever. No. And I mean, that's think true. about that. Why don't high schoolers get a chance to go outside? There's no recess. And they're like, oh, you know, I don't know if it has to do with them being too old for it, but they're not. Let them go hang out. Yes. Because they'll go away, like run away. Yeah, but the responsibility is the responsibility, right? So if you teach kids choices are choices, you decide to not follow the choice, there's consequence. You don't get free reign. If you get courtyard, like if you can go sit outside in a courtyard and do whatever it is, Right. And you know, you can't smoke on the property, you know, you can't drink and you know, you can't leave in your car. And yet you do those things. There's still it's the same consequences if you were to sneak out of school and do those things. Yeah. You know, teach them like treat them like adults that you're supposedly trying to get them to be. Yeah. Instead of like prisoners. Yeah. Right. Right. Teach them that they can make their own decisions. That could be a whole nother episode. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And what what their decisions make. I think we have a lot of ideas about what could assist working parents with the alignment of the school day and the work day. But if you could come up with just one thing, it can just be one small change, one small thing that you think is actually feasible. What would that be? I struggle with this because I do think about sports and things like that and if they have to go from one place to the other um i don't know and obviously it's what we all know about this is it's it's more difficult when the kid is younger and it gets a little bit easier as they get older because obviously in high school they go straight to their sports practice so it's like you don't have to pick them up until 6 30 or whatever but what can we do with them while they're in elementary school i think the infrastructure of the schools and the 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 pay of the teachers, all that is connected and has to be built out the same way we build out little mini cities for Google's campus and Amazon's campus. And if we can put that kind of money, if a city is willing to give tax breaks to a Google so that they can build a big building and get all their employees to never want to leave that spot, that to me is exactly how we should be looking at schools, public schools, so that if you want me to work up until 5 p.m., right, and you need me on a either in the office or on a call until 5, then my kid needs to be safe and well cared for and engaged until that moment. So why are, why do you, like employees get all these perks and all of this healthy food options and you know, activities like why are 25 year olds getting hoverboards and like foosball tables, but yet your kids are getting used books and like sitting outside in a, you know, wood park that hasn't been refinished for 40 years. Like, oh, I thought you were going to say in, in the trailer. We all well, had that either way. class in the trailer. <laughs> yeah, either way. Like, I think it needs that, that gives the capitalists you know, CEOs, people in butts and seats in office without a fear for their children. Because at the end of the day, I am lucky enough to be able to go, no, my kid is coming first. I will reschedule a meeting. I will leave the office if I feel like my kid cannot be somewhere. Um, But not everybody is lucky enough to do that. Yeah. I would say adjust the work expectation schedule where everybody ends at three. Yeah. Five. If we all ended at three, we'd probably be a lot more effective with our time between 8.30 and three or nine and three. Um, that that puts hours. us at under 40 hours a week, right? Just under probably, technically. Yes, but do we- But everyone works 40 more than 40 week. hours anyway. So right, that 40 hour work week. No, I know from, from a, I'm just like, thinking from a documentation and a like tax, per, like even though we're expected to work over 40 hours, if you're a- you know, non-exempt employee or whatever it is. Um, yeah, I mean, that goes to a whole, like, you need to change mindset about people's right. working. Well, right. They would have to change, change the law to make full time 36 hours or whatever. Yeah. 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 
but, um, I mean, my life is now, and I know we're going to get to this, you know, how we work now, but I have to pick up Sage when she's in school at three 15, I have to work around that. Now, granted, I only do it half the time because I, you know, Jason picks her up the other half of the days, but, um, but I make it work and I'm really effective with my time when I have to work, work around that schedule. It's not like I get any less work done. I actually probably get more done than a typical nine to five employee. I have multiple businesses going on at the same time. We have this podcast happening. Like I'm doing a lot of shit and somehow I'm able to get it all done and pick my kid up at school and adjust my schedule accordingly. I also don't have somebody, an authority over top of me saying you have to be in your seat at five o'clock or until five o'clock. I have that flexibility of time. But I think if, if companies were to trust their employees to manage their time better and give parents that flexibility to say like, I need to be off from three to four for picking up my kid. Like that's how I run my life. They'd be surprised at how much they would still, people. Well, I mean, that's the running joke. We've all heard the meme. That's like, if you want something done, give it to a busy working mom because we have no choice, but to get it all done. (laughs) And you know, the, I, I found two articles with two kind of different solutions. One was, of course, extending the school day, which is, which would just be dragging some things out, longer recess, longer lunch, after lunch breaks, you know, just stretch out the stuff that's not kids being forced to sit at a desk and you can get it another hour, you know? And then the other option was what you just alluded to, Kelly, which was maybe the solution is not forcing the kids to be at school later, maybe the solution is why do we need to be somewhere from nine to five? And that can look a lot of ways. Obviously COVID has shown us that many companies are are still remote. Many are fully remote. Many are hybrid. And that does all make a difference. There's also um, most companies have kind of flex. If you work in an office environment, it's kind of flex. So it's like, you can come in as early as seven, you can come in, you know, stay as late as six or seven and figure out where you want to work in between that. And all those things absolutely assist. But ultimately, if we're the adults, and we're the ones who are you know, fortunate and privileged enough to choose where we want to work and what environment we want to work in. We're the ones who have to say, all right, if this is what's important to me and I need to be there to pick my kid up and I I don't want to do the hassle and expense of after school programs, I need to work in a situation where I can either be flexible to leave at three or I'm off at three or whatever it is we're the adults. So we should be the ones to kind of figure our schedules out first so we can care for our kids. Yeah. I mean, I am interested to see the fight that's going on play out for another few years between the male CEOs demanding everyone back in office and everyone's challenging it going like, what about our kids? And, you know, we have finally been able to have our husbands spend time with our kids and, you know, benefits of that. But Unfortunately, the end of the day, if men don't speak up, nothing ever changes, right? Because it's the men that are in the seats of power and it's the the dads that need to sort of raise their voice to say, I want to have the opportunity to see my kid more often. I want to be able to be home for dinner. Um, and if they don't do that, we're going to have this push and pull for another few years. Of, yeah. and, like, and what's unfortunate about- They didn't care. Exactly. Well, and here's the thing. They don't have to, because when you think about CEOs, executive level C-suite, their kids are already gone. Right. So in their mind, they're not even burdening their wife. They're like, are you kidding? My wife is at home chilling. Like she doesn't have to do anything. And it's like, yes, you guys have gotten there, but you weren't always there. And And even young employees lack empathy as well. I mean, pre-kid Devin, who was like ambitious and wanting to climb a corporate ladder, had very little empathy for working mothers or working parents. And it took, you know, having a kid and getting a big fat piece of humble pie to understand what that was like. And I think, Kelly, your approach of if everybody ended at three you take that away, right? Like you take the need for judgment away because everyone is out at three. Everyone gets more time in the sun. Everybody, 
is getting more time to do what they want to do and live whatever life that they want. And, you know, we're not asking them to then start work at 6.30 or 7, right? And it's just, it sort of levels the playing field for, you know, anybody that has a kid in school. I would be very interested to speak to, and if anybody listening is in this position or knows someone, please let us know, someone who owns a business that has employees do you have set work times what what are your employees expected to do because ultimately you know the stats are out there people are starting businesses every day so if you are in a position where you're starting a company and you ex- and you are planning or are getting employees this is a good time to think about that right do you need your right. employee to be available at 4:45 or is it- and are you judging Are you excluding people from even working for you if they have kids because you don't want to accommodate? Right. You know, like ask yourself that very uncomfortable question. Um, I would love to talk to somebody. I would love to talk to a female who has grown children out of the house or close to out of the house in a decision-making position, not necessarily C-suite, and understand like what are you doing to change the infrastructure of the company you're at or the company either you built because I function on my team where I don't monitor hours. Like I don't care if you get your work done. I honestly don't care what time of day you do it. And most of the support I get is, yeah, you, you can manage your team the way you want. Right. Which is great. Um, except if I leave or I get a different type of boss, that's not solving problem. It's still an individualistic management style. It's and not, taking, oh, that's interesting. How is that yeah, working? You're the one having to buffer that for your yes. team. Yeah. Yes. And that's not necessarily fair to a new manager that comes in. It's not fair to another team under my same larger team that doesn't have a manager like me. Right. right. Like if they don't do that, you have half the team that doesn't have the freedom that my team has because that's how I lead because the person above both of us won't do that. Mm-hmm. One thing I will say that I've noticed working is the the flexible start and stop times help with scheduling. So because at our company, anybody, people can work either from seven to four or, you know, nine to six. And so as a result, there are not typically meetings scheduled after four because you don't know who is unavailable. So as a, you know, as an unspoken rule, you just kind of don't schedule out past that time. So then it really helps because even if I'm a working till six person, I maybe can do those two hours remotely or, you know, it's, it, it, it really helps in that instance. So I think that there are maybe small shifts that we can start to take to get in that direction. Yeah. I mean, and we're also speaking from the perspective of our jobs, right? We work desk jobs, nine to five style. We're in front of a computer all the time. Nine to five schedule is not just based on that corporate life. It's also based on people who work in factories, who are working, right. you know, uh, service You job. can't leave, right? You, you can't, can't like finish building the car later. <laughs> presence is what is required mm-hmm. of you to do your job. So how do you help those people who are working you know, at the restaurant down the street and they, you know, they get out at, you know, six o'clock, where are their children going after they get out of school? Right. And they're I mean, the, the list goes on and on. I mean, our neighbor's a nurse and she works nights. So I think about her and her family so often because I'm like, first of all, when does she sleep? Because I see her with the kids during the day a lot. And I'm like, hold on, time out. Like I have questions. And her spouse has a full-time nine to five. So he gets up and leaves and goes to work. He comes home and she gets up and leaves and goes to work. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, this is so stressful to me. And there are so many people with so many different work styles. And I mean, we can't even get into the women who, like you said, work in the restaurants or work at McDonald's. Um, I also saw a stat as I was reading this, uh, these handful of articles that there's still a very large percentage of children that are home unsupervised from the hours of three to six. And obviously nobody talks about it because in this day and age, you will go to jail, but it's like some people have no choice. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, their kindergartners are getting off the bus and walking home and they're letting themselves in. And that's that they entertain themselves until five 36 o'clock when they come home. I was raised that way in high school during the summer or like my, both my parents worked. So if I had time after school, I would go by myself. I was home alone for now. My dad was home by four 30, four 45. Cause he worked in hospitals. So he was out the door by 5.00 AM and then home. It was only like an hour. If those, those days happened, but I don't know, even now Lucy's kindergarten is potentially in our sub. And I don't think I could let her walk from there to home alone. Like, I just don't think I would do it. Yeah. Our society right now doesn't allow, like, there's so much judgment. There's so much. There's a lot of judgment around independent children, which I find very ironic because if you go on social media, all the teachings are around independent children, but the practice is really not. It's like, yeah, I want them to be independent where like they can pour a cup of juice, (laughs) not like. Back in the day, my best friend was taking the city bus from like eight years old on. That's a different kind of independence than I can pour my own juice. And I would say like, if you look at Japan, I think there was a show on Netflix that showed kids as young as like four doing errands all across town for their parents. And you like, when I was watching it, I was like, oh my God, how could you let your four-year-old do that? You know, and I'm thinking, oh, it's because the society cares about children. That's why. Right. Like we live in America. They don't care about children. I walked home and we didn't know what we know now. Now we know nobody cares about children. So I can't let my kid out when I know nobody around her cares about her. Well, we'll even look after her and make sure that, you know, she's not fell down in the middle of the street or something. Correct. No one will even. It would be incredibly different if I felt I lived in a country that cared about children. You would be able to let your child do those things, you know, but we know through data that most grown men don't care about children in some of the worst ways. And most women don't want to deal with the fact that other people don't care about children. So we don't get to have the luxury of, of the flexibility of independence for your young child. If it's not a village anymore, we don't have a village. And that's that's tough. And, and then it's hard to teach your child real independence because you can't actually let them out into the world. Right. So I want to end this on, I I personally like ending with advice. (laughs) I just want to help everybody. Um, So a lot of the statistics I shared today were from a TED talk by a woman called Julie Ellison, and it was called Having It All for Working Mothers Everywhere. I'll put it in the link. So if you guys want to watch it, um, you definitely can. Towards the end of her talk about the state of, you know, working mothers and schooling, She talked about, which I think we've all heard before, this analogy of either tossing your balls in the air or spinning the plates in the air. And ultimately, as working mothers, we have to figure out which of our spinning plates are made of china and which are made of plastic. And ultimately, that's so you know, the plastic plates can fall. Mm -hmm. I've we've all heard that in, you know, many different ways before. But Julie brought up another concept of that, which I thought was really interesting. She said, better yet, can you figure out how to not spin the plastic plates in the first place? And we talk about this all the time. We talk about this, about the new mothers we know and what we've learned through our motherhood journey. And we can see them and say, man, don't start down that road because once you do, you can't get off of it. So I want to ask a few questions to you to close, to hopefully give some advice to all the working moms out there. So what are some of those plastic plates that you guys are willing to drop first when the plate spinning gets out of control? Um, My first thought is food. If it's too much for to make that super home cooked meal, fuck it. (laughs) I'm going to either get, you know, be, be prepared with like, easy to cook shit that takes me 10 minutes or we just order a pizza like and don't feel guilt about it any of my extra stuff is always unfortunately what I drop first so it's why I don't go to the gym anymore it's if I had dinner plans with coworkers, if I had something with friends all that will get dropped 
before I do anything. I didn't Good add it into this because it wasn't um it wasn't totally relevant to the conversation, but I did also read an article that was titled something like um going to the gym as a working mom is impossible. And it just outlined like yeah. all the reasons why it is like yeah. not possible to I really that article because I'm, I'm really sick of people going, well, that's just an excuse. I want to be like, I, I need you to understand that I have looked at this a thousand ways and I cannot seem to figure it out without giving up sleep. That would be it. So exactly. either incredibly early or incredibly yeah. late. And I'm not saying that I can't do one of those two options, but I'm still sacrificing sleep. So those are my choices. Yeah. Yeah. Send me that article. Mm-hmm. We'll use um, that. I agree with you, Kelly. I definitely, um, dinner will be the first to go off. It's like, what do we have enough to, to heat up in the fridge? Is there like a random Trader Joe's meal in the, yeah. um, in the freezer? So absolutely food is one of those, um, first things to go. And my second question is, is there, are there any plastic plates that you have removed entirely from the standpoint of how do we not spin the plates in the first place? And how can we show other working moms that these are some of the plates that we don't spin? I'll start because I know Devin's always like, Courtney, how do you do this? So um, I don't clean. That's a plate that I removed the second I got married (laughs) and moved in with my husband. I just don't clean. I don't do it. So either he does it if he wants it done. We have a housekeeper come once a month. Um, I understand that that is obviously a luxury and cost prohibitive to many. But I also, um, probably because I listen to a lot of Dave Ramsey, I understand that there's a lot of things that we all spend money on. And so sometimes if something's cost prohibitive, it's because we don't deem it as important as Starbucks or whatever else. The gym is a plate I've removed. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? I think that's okay because I read that article and I was like, oh my gosh, somebody finally gets it because I remember, um, you know, after, after having Harper, maybe early pregnant with Blair and it's just like, there's no way I can't do it. I tried like once to go to the gym and I was like, I can't do this. And it's not even fun or functional. I'm here doing what? Like walking around for an hour. It's nothing, you know, that's organized. I don't know what I'm doing. There's no point because it's not like I'm coming back tomorrow to work on another part of my body. And yeah, it's like, even if you can schedule it in, if it's pointless, Right. Then what is that? Yeah. What's the most effective use of the time that you can get alone? Like my, I do yoga. So if I have a yoga class scheduled, I will be there during that hour. Like that is my time. I will, there's no, no negotiation of that. If it's on the calendar, I'm going, but it's because I have to be somewhere at a certain time. And I make arrangements around that, just like if it's a meeting, but just going to the saying, I'm going to go to the gym at you know, yeah. 7 PM. Hell no. Like I just make every excuse in the world to not go. I have told myself that I have to make a choice between my like scheduled brunch with friends or dinner with friends and the gym. That is, those are the, the time slots that either one would fit in across my whole month. And I have always known that my cup is better filled with friends and social engagement with friends than it is with me working out. Cause I hate working out. I like the benefits of sure. post-workout. Absolutely. But I hate the act of it. So the entire time I'm like, this is a task. It's on my to-do list. I just have to do it. Whereas I don't feel full. Like my energy is not full after that. But when I have lunch with friends on a Saturday or dinner on a Friday night where I get to go out with like you girls and we're dressed up. Like I feel better. Yeah. I feel more whole. So those were the choices that I made. It'd be great if I could do both, but I can't. And it wouldn't matter. Like I have been trying to find a house cleaner that like is referred in versus through a company for like three months now, but I couldn't, even if they came once a month, 
I still have to clean my house every day. Like I'm still vacuuming every day. I'm still putting away all of the crap every day because I was raised that way. And I, until therapy gets to that point of getting rid of those needs, there's not much I can do about that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it'd be helpful, but it wouldn't solve my cleaning OCD. And I will say that a lot of the things that I have been able to take off my my plate spinning have a lot less to do with personal choice and a lot more to do with absolute burnout. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I can't. I there, there are things I just can't do. And my life is too hectic and everything is too crazy that I have been able to work past the OCD and past the upbringing and past the fact that my mom's going to come over and ask why I haven't swept because of the burnout. And so obviously that's not the ideal case scenario that you're so burnt out that you're not able to do things. But fortunately, it's had some positive outcome because I've been forced to take the things off my plate. So, you know, we get we all get there, too, in one way or the other. So my last question before we close is. What is one more thing that you could remove from your plate? And it doesn't mean it's anything that you're going to remove today, but what is something that you would advise yourself and maybe many other working moms listening to remove? Oh, I got nothing, guys. Um... (laughs) Gosh, this is so bleak. What would you remove? There is nothing I think of on my plate that I could could remove. Um, So I, I try to think of tiny things. I, I spend a lot of time listening to like Tim Ferriss. I'm a huge four hour work week fan. I'm always looking for, you know, all the, like anything that basically like a rich white San Francisco man (laughs) will, will say like, Oh, I, I outsource that. Oh, you and your no kids and like your no outsource that. (laughs) But I do try to, you know, I do try to listen. And there are a lot of small things. Like, for instance, my car dealership where I get my oil changed, they offer a pickup option, which normally in, you know, the first thought in my mind was like, no, I need to like go there and drop it off and wait. Or even if I bring the shuttle home, like it's. I had to get over all the mental whatever that was telling me, no, I can't have them come pick my car up and bring it back. And I did it for the first time, the last time I got an oil change. And I was like, oh, this is very easy. That just saved me the hour of having to drop the car off at eight o'clock or whatever ridiculous time they want you to drop your car off. I'm already working from home. I just make sure it's a day where I don't have anywhere to go. And then they just bring it back and all of a sudden my car's back and it's serviced and I didn't have to go anywhere. And so that's one small thing that I kind of think about that is like, oh, it didn't cost me any extra. Why would I not take that option? And I think sometimes we have opportunities like that, but our head, we get all in our head like, oh, I can't do that immediately. Like, no, that won't work. I need my car. I need my this. I need my that. Mm -hmm. But I say, if you ever see opportunities like that, just give it a try. Yeah, that's probably the point. I think we could all... I do this every quarter, like go through my budget and like see where I can remove shit or go through my closet once a year and figure out like purging. I think we could probably do that once a quarter, see where we can streamline what is yeah. there, what's available for us. Like I wouldn't even have thought that that was an option to have somebody come pick up my car and service it for me and then bring it back to me. Um, so yeah, like spending some time doing a little bit of research to how well, I- and Kelly in season one, you even talked about how your, your style in the personal branding episode, your style is, is streamlined and consistent. And that's actually taking something off of your plate. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. I, I choose to wear all black. I, yeah. I like it, but also cause it's simple, less choices. Yep. Yeah. 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 I do think that is the way to think of it is like what, how can you make it so you have less choices to have to yep. make? Because the more choices you have in front of you, shit, that's where you end up getting emotionally taxed. Yeah. yeah, no, I think that's completely fair. I have started doing the capsule wardrobe concept in the last year, and that's already been incredibly helpful. Same with I only buy a certain brand of jeans because I know I love the way they fit. So I don't even consider outside of that. Right, don't bother trying them yes. on. 
Um, yes. I, I do the capsule also. And so what I'll do is I'll choose my little capsule and then everything else I put into storage. So it's not like I'm throwing all the clothes out. It means that every season I can go in and I can say, where am I in my life right now? I'm going to a lot of work meetings. So I know I need professional clothes. It's summer. So I know I want this style of clothing. I choose those handful of items in my closet. So to your point, I'm not spending hours in the morning going like, what's this? What am I wearing? Yeah. What's going on? And I do try to lay mine and the kids clothes out the night before. That's something that I try really hard to do every day because in the morning, it's so much easier, especially two of my three kids can dress themselves. So if I can say your clothes are on the dresser, yeah, they can just put them on. I took that from you, Courtney. I remember going to your house when I brought Harper clothes at one point. Um, and you had already pre-matched every outfit in the drawer. So pants and shirt were together for, um, Harper and trip. And I was like, oh, wow. I, I, cause at that point, Lucy had all these clothes and cause I love dressing her as a baby. And as I got older, it just got impractical to attempt to do anything cute outfit wise. So, um, I started doing that last year for her. And so everything has a set and even John noticed how helpful that was. So he would go in and now I could offload that. Then he doesn't have to he say, well, what do, do you it. want her to wear? Does yes. this go with this? Yes. And it was in my head, I was like, oh, at least I know she will be put together yes, and not in like some ridiculous like hodgepodge of an well, outfit. Maybe that's a plate you can back. remove, not giving a shit what your kid wears. Because that's like where yeah. I've so always lived. Sage is always days. just herself. And yeah. so I like, I mean, she's 10 now, so full self-expression, but like, I don't care. Like it's yeah. not reflection on me, what she yeah. wears. It's her. I I am lucky most of the time Lucy doesn't want to think about it, but the days she does, I actually don't care. So if she fights me in the morning, I don't care. I've sent her in pajamas and Crocs. I've sent her in whatever. But for the most part, she could go and pick anything in that closet and it'd be fine because it's already put yes. together. That was super helpful. I would say if I had to offload something, I would love the ability to streamline a, my extras calendar like all the things between family birthday dinners and friend dinners and work dinners and like and feel less um bad about yeah. missing some of that especially when it comes to family things that is something that you carry that I know I don't because well just proximity to family but I'm also very protective of my calendar like I literally yeah. schedule in like I am doing nothing these days doing nothing these nights and then you can't touch it yeah, I um I remember learning that from you uh quite a few years ago, Kelly, and you were just like, "What if you just don't go?" And I was to some like family thing, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I could never!" And last year we didn't go to Thanksgiving, mm. and like it was fine, yeah. and I was like, "Oh, like <laughs> wait a minute, this is an option." <laughs> And it's like, we do, we do all these things. And, and I like Devin have, have extreme like family obligation. Like that is life. And it is very difficult. And I know Devin, you've chosen like small things here and there to not do. And mm -hmm. it's hard to. And it's never muscle. like celebrated. There's never like empathy given no. unless something happens. So I have to sit in that transition it doesn't last nobody's holding grudges on any family but it it's still a thing and so there's still pressure either way or guilt either way and being able to sit in that and know that I made the right choice because of my own mental health because of Lucy being overworked and overtired but like John and I laugh we will look at our summer calendar and we have not one day on a weekend open there is something tentatively or permanently scheduled every day friday saturday sunday all summer and that is yeah insane. i was happy just to look at this week's calendar and it was like oh i don't have anything on the calendar at all monday wednesday like that's a win yeah <laughs> Two days, <laughs> two days. So I'm going to wrap it with what I kind of felt rose to the top as the two 
big learning and opportunities here. That is, we might not be able to change the school system overnight or ever. So what we can do is if we are in leadership or management situations, we can make some changes and create more flexible environments. If we are starting businesses, we can create more flexible workspaces for people. And as working mothers, we can control ourselves. So what is it that we can do to make our schedule fit our family in the way that we want it to? So I, I hope everyone has a great school year. Good luck to everyone. You got me ending filled with hope instead <laughs> of rage and tears. And take a plate off your spinning and, yes. you know, chill Tell out. us what plates you're removing. Yes, please tell us about the plates. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining. We'll see you guys next time. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for another episode of My Vagina Hurts. Remember to hit that subscribe button so you never miss out on our next candid conversation. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at MVHThePod. Got a story you want us to share or a topic you want us to tackle? Slide into our DMs or submit your anonymous vagina scary story at MyVaginaHurts.com. Thanks for being a part of the MVH world. And until next time, stay stressed and sexy.